Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. Of course, as always, you're going to get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can send messages to the show at the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter at GoForItCan. G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by one of the stars of HBO's Ballers, Omar Benson Miller, actor Omar Benson Miller. He's going to be joining us. He plays Charles Green on that particular show. He's going to be joining us. He's going to discuss the show. Uh, You know, good show. I watched it uh, this week. Pretty good show. So far, so good for me. I'll be watching. It seems a, a, a lot like uh, uh, was it, uh, the show on HBO. I forgot what it was. But it was a lot like that, it seems. Um, and You know, I like that show. No, not HBO. ESPN it used to be on. I forgot what the show was called. But it was a good show. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk to Omar Benson Miller about the great show. Ballers also, uh, Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill will be joining us. We're going to talk tomorrow about the NBA draft. He's seen a lot of these players. Probably recruited some of these players. And uh, so we're going to be talking to him about the NBA draft and, and, you know, what he thinks, the winners, the losers, the sleepers. We're going to talk to Marlon about that. And it should be a lot of fun, uh, you know, talking the NBA draft. Uh, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's been fun. It was a fun draft. But it wasn't as fun as it could have been. Could have been a little better. Could have been seen some more trades, and we thought we actually would see a little bit more trades, but it wasn't. But as we go throughout the course of the show, we're going to talk about Diddy, Justin Combs, and that whole situation. UCLA, Diddy, you know, Diddy bopping, Sawalosi, and you know, going after him with a kettlebell and all this other good stuff, bad stuff. Depends on who you talk to, but we're going to talk to him. Uh, we're going to talk about that, you know, as we go through Mellow. You know, he's unhappy. You know, he's not happy with Porzingis. And we'll talk why Melo really has nothing to say and really can't be angry. The only person he could be angry is himself. But we'll talk about that as we go throughout. Ryan Sandberg out as manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll get to that and everything else in the world of sports. Let's talk. Let's start with the NBA draft. It was fun last night. It was absolutely fun last night. It was surprising. It was twisted. It was turns. And here's the thing. A lot of intrigue had to do with those first three, even though the first four, because you know, it's always interesting to see what the Knicks are going to pick because we all know that Knicks fan base, they go crazy, uh, you know, depending on what happens, good, bad, or what have you. So it's always fun to see how the Knicks fans react. But, you know, yesterday it, it was always intriguing throughout the course. It was always thought, you know, obviously Minnesota would take Carl Anthony Towns, 
Then we thought the Lakers were going to take Okafor, and then Russell, D'Angelo Russell, would land three with the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, as we as we it was always talked about, and you know, always we weren't really sure at the end of the day. There was some talk that the Lakers were leaning towards Russell. There was other talk that the Lakers were leaning towards Okafor. But ultimately, Mitch Kupchak, when it was time for the Lakers to make their pick, they decided to go with D'Angelo Russell. And not a bad pick because many believe D'Angelo Russell could be the best player in this draft when it's all said and done. He does have that ability, most definitely. But that was that was the, that was the intrigue. And ultimately, you know, Minnesota, you, you had a feel you knew they were going towns. That was pretty much a done deal. Again, the question was two and three, and two and three was ultimately answered. And even you wondered, okay, after the Lakers decided to go small over big, and conventional wisdom tells you that you always go big over, over small. And then maybe what we saw in the NBA Finals changed minds and opinions of NBA executives. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe the Lakers thought at the end of the day, D'Angelo Russell was the best player in this draft, and they did not want to go past what they believe could be the best player in this draft. Understandable if that truly was the case. But ultimately, the Lakers decided to go small over big. They chose Russell, and then we're at three. Philadelphia 76ers. They got Noel. They got Embiid. You know, so they got they got a ton of size. You know, obviously, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Embiid. You know, there, there's mixed messages on possibly whether surgery will be necessary. Maybe it's not. Who knows? But we're, we're, oh, there's, there's uncertainty there, obviously. The uncertainty with Joel and B. So, with that being said, and, and I'm not saying that this was the reason why the Philadelphia 76ers uh, decided to go with uh, decided to go with Okafor, because at the end of the day, here's the thing. You know, I, I think their mindset was best available. And I, and I think at the end of the day, you can argue that Jalil Okafor, I mean, there's no really no argument. I think Okafor at that point in time was the best available player. I mean, there was talk earlier in the college basketball season that Okafor was going to go number one. So that, that was the talk. Okafor was going to be the guy. He was the prize of this draft for a long period of time. And then ultimately it swayed, and ultimately it went over to town, and ultimately it stayed with town, and ultimately Minnesota chose town. But Okafor, for a great period of time, was the guy. And, and so ultimately, as we, you know, got to the draft and, and, and got closer to the thing, it all switched and it all went, went to towns. But we look at Okafor. You thought, okay, if he's not going to go one, he's going to go two to the Lakers. The Lakers, an organization that, that loves bigs, that's had a lot of success with bigs over the years, Will, Shaq, Kareem. I mean, Bynum, the list goes on and on, uh, and Mikan of the, the, the bigs and the Lakers and their success with bigs and how bigs have helped shape, shape their championship runs in the 80s, in the 2000s, you know, in the 70s, the 60s, you know, the, the, the bigs. And so ultimately, the Lakers, you figured, okay, if they're not going to take towns, they're going to Okafer. And I know there's been talk about Cousins, and, you know, that still could be in play. Reports are that's still in play at this point in time. So Cousins could come. Maybe Aldridge will come over. Who knows? Maybe even Kevin Love. 
But the Lakers decided that, you know what? We feel like D'Angelo Russell's our guy. And that's where he went. And here's the thing. The Lakers are the Lakers. And, you know, you, you look at those franchises that everybody wants to play for. Lakers has always been a, a you know, winning franchise and a franchise that everybody wants to play for. It's L.A. It's always been L.A. and New York. Not so much in New York, I think, at this point. But I still think there's, there's people that want to play in New York. It's still New York City. It's still Madison Square Garden. But it's still L.A. It's, it's still L.A. And, you know, they get Russell. And I think that they're going to get their hands on either Cousins, Aldridge, or Love. I think they're getting one of those three guys. I, I, I see that happening for the Lakers. The thing about the Lakers, they don't stay bad for long. They, they don't stay bad for long. They really don't. I mean, you, you just look at their history. Just look at the recent history where, I mean, and here's the thing. You, you remember that year? when they got Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, well, who the Lakers found a way to get two of the most coveted guys out there at that point in time. Obviously, Nash broke down. Obviously, Dwight Howard wasn't really truly healthy with his back, but he didn't enjoy L.A., and ultimately, he won on Houston. But at the time, the Lakers were considered championship contenders. They were considered with the 2012. They were considered championship contenders. And then... It fell apart because Howard left and Steve Nash really never played. Bulky back. Never overcame the back. Howard didn't either. And ultimately Howard left to Houston. But I, I, you know, you look at it, even when the Lakers, you know, they traded Shaq, or even before that, where, where they signed Shaq in 96, they got Shaq, Brought Shaq in, you know, and ultimately got Kobe. Shaq and Kobe team together. Well, they drafted Kobe first. Remember, they traded Divac. Ultimately, they signed Shaq, and Shaq and Kobe were together. You know, they had some struggles there. Phil comes in. Phil Jackson turns it around. You know, they have a three-peat. You know, Shaq gets traded. Shaq is gone. Lakers have some lean times. Okay. They make a trade. They get Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol in that midseason trade where they really didn't give up much. What, Javaris Crittington and Kwame Brown, two guys who are out of the league right now. Crittington, Crittington excuse me, is in jail. Crazy. But that, you know, that, that midseason deal, they got the Paul, Pau Gasol. They team Pau with Kobe, Lamar, and everybody else, and, and they make a finals run. And ultimately, they're back in business with, with back-to-back titles, a repeat, repeat champions. The Lakers don't stay bad long. They just don't. You know, ultimately, had some injury issues with Kobe. Powell decided to go to the Bulls. And then Powell's with the Bulls. And the Lakers had some tough times last year, tough times the year before. But I think right now the Lakers could be poised to get right back up again. You got the, your prize power forward, Julius Randle, coming back. You got D'Angelo Russell, and if he's everything that people think he is, you got a point guard for the next 10 years. And then if you can still find a way to get your hands on DeMarcus Boogie Cousins, 
And we're going to talk about Cousins and George Carl uh, throughout the, as we go throughout the course of this show. We're going to get to that. But if you, if you find a way to get yourself Boogie Cousins, and then you got Kobe Bryant returning for his possible swan song, you still have a team that not maybe not championship caliber, but a team that's definitely going to be able to compete. You know, so we'll see what happens. But the Lakers could be back. And for for them, you wonder, for them to go small over big, to go Russell over Okafor, you wonder if the Lakers have something up their sleeve. And I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to believe Boogie, Cousins, or Love, or LaMarcus Aldridge. It's going to be walking through those doors. One of those guys is going to be walking through that door. One of those guys. But we'll see. And let's go back to the Sixers now and pick three. At that point in time, you know, you're thinking, okay, what is Philadelphia going to do? We know Boston was hot and heavy after Okafor. We know Boston loved them. We never reports that Boston was willing to give up anything, any and everything, to get their hands on that third pick. And there are also reports about Boston you know, wanting to give up almost six picks to, to, to Charlotte to get their hands on Justice Winslow. <laughs> crazy. And Charlotte didn't take the deal. That might even be more crazier. Depends on how well Frank Kaminsky actually plays and see if he, if he pans out. Then, you know, obviously it's a good move by the Hornets, but we'll see. But let's go back to the Sixers now. At three years saying, do the Sixers take best available? Does Hinky trade the pick, or does the Hinky decide? Does Hinky decide? You know what? Got Embiid. They got Noel. I need a point guard. Moutier, Emmanuel Moutier is athletic as I don't know what. Has a decent skill set. Decent passer. May not be able to shoot the ball at this point in time, but we can work on that. He can get better on that. Do they go there? You're wondering whether or not they would trade down, and you know. Still try to get Moody able to trade down and get some more assets. But they stuck there. They stood there. And then the intrigue was Knicks fans all over the world, Stephen A. Smith, you know, probably Spike Lee, um, Woody, Woody Allen, all those guys were, were, were hoping, were praying that, that the New York Knicks would, would, would go elsewhere. I mean, the Philadelphia 76 would go elsewhere. That Hinky would do something Hinky-like. But Hinky decided that, you know what? Best available prospect, best available player is Jaleel Okafor. So let me take Jaleel Okafor. And that's what they did. They took Jaleel Okafor. And, you know, this is a guy back to the basket center. A guy who can, you know, good low post moves. Obviously, a very good college basketball player. I think at the end of that, very good player. You you got a guy. I think that you're you're going to be comfortable with. And you could say, well, Philadelphia hasn't been. Philadelphia has no well. Now they got. Uh, and, and in the second round, they were taking power forward after power forward after power forward. I mean, the center. I mean, they were just loving these bigs. But you got Noel. You got Embiid. And now you got Okafor. And people are saying, what are you going to do with three with these three bigs? Somebody's going to get traded? That may happen at some point in time. What's going to happen? Well, is, is Embiid not going to be healthy? Is, is he going to be out 
another season? What's going to happen? I mean, that was that was you're, you're trying to figure out. Excuse me. What exactly are the Sixers trying to do? What's going to happen? And we still don't know what's going to happen. We still, you can still question that you really don't truly understand the plan. It's difficult, I guess, to trust the process. Maybe it's even more difficult to say in Hinky we trust. But I, I, I'm a Sixers fan, so I have a dog in this fight. And I'm okay with the plan because I saw what the alternative was. And what they had was a championship caliber. What they had was a middle-of-the-road basketball team with Iguodala and, 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 you know, uh, Lou Williams, Elton Brand, Samuel Dallenbear. They had a middle-of-the-road basketball team. Good enough to get that 8-7 spot in the Eastern Conference. But a team not good enough to win any rounds of the playoffs. They might scare you. They might get two games in the in the in the in the series, but they're not going to win the series. They have really no chance to win the series. That's where you were at. And then you made the move to get Andrew Bynum. You had Swaggy P, Nick Young. You know, Jason Richardson was also in the mix, and Elton Brand was still there, and you. And you thought you were poised to possibly take that next step because the year before that, you know, you took Boston seven games in the second round of the Eastern Conference Finals. But did I mention that this team beat a Bulls team in the first round who had no Derrick Rose and an unhealthy uh, Joe Kim Noah? So you look at that and you say, all right, that's a team that's at, – at that point, Doug Collins' final year, they were done. You had to blow it up. And that's what they did. They blew it up. And they tanked. And it's okay because people tank. Teams tank. You can't tell me the Spurs tanked when they got their hands on Tim Duncan. Questionable tank, but it's a tank. Boston tried to tank to get their hands on uh, uh, Tim Duncan. Didn't work. Worked for the Spurs, didn't work for the Celtics. The Rockets tanked in the 80s. Got Lajuan, Ralph Sampson. Teams tank. That's why they put in the lottery. Teams tank. And so the Sixers have been tanking. Tanking and tanking. Last year they tanked. The year before they tanked. I'm cool with it. I haven't had a basketball season in a couple years. It's okay. Because I know that this is probably better than the alternative. You can also argue maybe you can do it a more conventional way. You don't necessarily have to tank. Well, this is a team at this point, Philadelphia wasn't really a destination for free agents. Just wasn't. Still not. You might be able to argue that it's become less of a destination now than it was a few years ago before Sam Hankey and Brett Brown came onto the scene. You can make that argument. Maybe it comes a legitimate argument. But I say this. The Sixers, to me, had to do it through the draft. And one of the ways to do it, one of the ways – Obviously, to, to to get and to to try to make sure that you get high picks is tanking. And so they tanked, they stanked, and, and now, you know, they got three bigs: Okafor, Noel, and Embiid. And my thought is this: 
if one of those three bigs pan out, you're in good shape because you have a guy that can set you up for a long period of time. And I know the thought and the talk around is, okay, you know, Golden State has showed us that this is a a little man's league. This is a small team's league. This is a three-point league. This is an up and down, you know, you don't need uh, the big men to to get and win an, uh, win an NBA title. Well, I, I'll say this, and, and maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I'm not buying that 100%. I'm just not. Because they're still – here's what I say about the Golden State Warriors, and, and they, they were very fortunate in this respect. You know, they, they are able – Dwight Howard has a lot of success against the Warriors. But they were they were able to avoid the Clippers, who have Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, and they're also able to avoid uh, Tim Duncan and the Spurs. And so, don't be so quick to say that little beats big, and that's this is a little man's league, and this is a small ball small ball league. I'm not prepared to do that. Golden State's a good basketball team. Very good basketball team, a 67-win team. But the reason they had a lot of success with small ball, especially against the Cavaliers, is because while Mozkov had some decent numbers, he wasn't going to beat you. While Tristan Thompson can rebound the basketball very well and, and is a monster, especially on the offensive backboard, he doesn't have a low post game that truly can beat you. Tim Duncan can. He can definitely beat you. For sure. And the Spurs have had a lot of success against the Golden State Warriors. So let's, let's, let's not be so quick to say that this is a small, this is a, this, the league favors small basketball team. Bigs still win. You still have success with bigs. I'm sorry. Shaq, and there's not a Shaq out here, but Shaq. In those 2000s, had a lot of success. Four rings to show for, for a dominating big. Tim Duncan had a lot of success. Five rings to show what a dominating big can do. Before, you know, Akeem Olajuwon. Other than Jordan, you had Akeem Olajuwon. And I know it was in the 90s, so we're taking it back a little bit. And you can say, well, that's too far back. But you, you get my point. I'm not saying there's Olajuwon. I'm not saying there's Shaq. And walking through that door, you know, maybe Joel Embiid is that Elijah one that a lot of people say he possibly could be. I don't know. I'm not saying he is. But people have made the comparison. Take it for what it's worth. But people have made that comparison. But I'm not saying that that there's an Elijah one out here. I'm not saying that there's a Shaq out here. There's still Tim Duncan out here, and he still plays. Very good basketball. So let's not be so quick to say, you know, this is a little man's league. It's not so fast. Let, let's, let's, let's let time be the judge of that. You know, and I know the success that, uh, you know, that LeBron has had. And, and Miami never, you know, had a big three. But they had some size. Chris Bosh, you know, he played a little center. But he also, 6'11", played power forward as well. And if you look at the 80s, 6'10". 611 is the center. But anyway, you know, the Miami still had a Chris Bosch when they won their chips. And obviously, the Spurs had Tim Duncan when they won their chips. 
So, and even as the Mavericks, for that matter, you know, versatility, obviously, and you didn't have the typical back-to-the-basket big in, in Dirk Nowitzki, but, you know, you still had a big in Tyson Chandler who affected the game with rebounding, block shots, and things of that nature, playing solid defense and, you know, anchoring and, and being a rim protector. Let's, 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 not so fast. Kudos to the Golden State Warriors, and they're going to be here for a while. Their backcourt is lethal. There's a, you got a lethal backcourt. You got Draymond Green. You still got Iggy Harrison Barnes. So they're still a, 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 bas- a, a tough basketball team to beat. But they're not unbeatable, and I think Cleveland would actually beat them if they had all their parts uh, with them. If they had a Kevin Love, if they had Kyrie Irving, they needed just somebody else. To, I think they even had Kyrie. They just needed somebody else to give them something a little more. Della Vadova, who might have a movie. What, a movie's in the works for Matthew Della Vadova. Well, I guess we'll get to that, too, as well. But, I mean, come on. But we've seen the Della Vadova story, I, I think, uh, a few times. I mean, it's great. Uh, it's not really that great of a story. It didn't really end well. It got to the NBA, and that's an accomplishment in itself. But, quite frankly, I, I think we can have, make a movie for any NBA player. Any NBA player who any player that any player that gets in the NBA that gets to the NFL because you know how many people are able to get to the NBA, the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, hockey. You know how many people are actually able to get to that level. It's not a lot. It's not a lot at all. So it, it you can it's it's not very easy to get to that level. So truly. You can find, obviously, a lot of interesting things in anybody's story and how they got to where they got, you know. I mean, what, should we do a Daryl Armstrong movie? Uh, another guy who won all drafted? Should we do that? Is that a movie we should do? Daryl Armstrong had some pretty good success in this league. I'm not going to argue. I'm going to say Daryl Armstrong is a better player than Matthew Dellavedova. So should we we, we should we uh, have a Daryl Armstrong movie? He had a hard time getting to the National Basketball Association. Should we have a Udonis Haslam movie? A guy you know undrafted who actually won a championship? What one more than one championship? Five chips for UD. Should we should we do that? Roger Bell. We we'll have a Roger Bell movie. Roger Bell hit some big shots in, the, in that, what, game one against the, the Lakers with the Philadelphia 76ers, the 2001 NBA Finals. He had a big shot in that game. Should we do a Jose Calderon? I mean, come on. We're doing a Matthew Dellavedova movie. We're talking about Matthew Dellavedova. And I tweeted out, and I still believe this, the world is, you, you could know the world, that we're in our last days. We're in our last days if Matthew Dellavedova has 20 points in an NBA Finals game. The last days, I'm telling you. Start signing sets. Start, start, start uh, hiding those canned goods and, and stocking up on that, and, and you know, get some gold while you're at it. Because Matthew Dellavedova, 20 points in an NBA Finals game, absolutely amazing. But anyway, it's not movie movie worthy, but we'll see. It's probably going to come, no matter what I feel. But anyway, we we go through all that, and and the Sixers obviously. 
they're trying to make it work, I guess. And then Hinky, Sam Hinky has a plan. What that plan looks like, what ultimately is going to happen. I mean, you look at Philadelphia, and and you got Tip Kelly, who I guess has some kind of plan, and nobody, un- I don't think really people truly understand. And now you have a uh, Sam Hinky as well, who has a plan that no one, I guess, really truly understands. They still need a point guard. You can argue they traded away, uh, you know, a guy who was a, a decent point guard in Michael Carter Williams. I guess the thought process they could get better. That obviously was the thought process, and they also were able to get assets. Uh, they were able to get uh, that Laker pick. That Laker pick that was top five protected this year is probably is going to be top three protected next year. But I, I mean, if the Lakers do what I think they might do, they probably won't be as bad as they were last season. So that pick probably comes now a pick that might be in the teens somewhere. And if the Lakers are good enough, maybe get to the twenties. So, I mean, the Sixers do do they? The question becomes at this point: at, at what point? Do you decide that now it's time to play winning basketball? Is it this season? Is it is it is it one more season of tanking? Is do we go? Uh, do the Sixers fans go through a third year of tanking? We'll see. Carmelo Anthony, you know, let's let let's go there. So let the Knicks. Let's go to four, and the Knicks decide. You know what? Phil Jackson. Ultimate risk, ultimate reward, that's what he said. Those are his words. And describing uh, them taking Porzingis with the number four pick. Porzingis, 19 years old, 7'2", 7'3", guy, can shoot the basketball, very lean, has decent athletic ability, very lean, and a guy that people believe is a, a few years away, one to two years away from contributing. I mean, it took Dirk Nowitzki some time to get to where he wanted to, to get to a place where he is uh, successful. It took Dirk Nowitzki some time. I mean, a lot of people were talking bust with Dirk Nowitzki after that first season. But ultimately, he got it together, and ultimately he became what he is now, a Hall of Fame basketball player. And you can argue maybe this is the right pick, maybe it's the wrong pick, but where do you go? Do you go Justice Winslow? I mean, what is the upside with Winslow in comparison to Porzingis? Do you go Emmanuel Moutier? I mean, you could argue it's still a project-type situation. The Knicks, I mean, Fran Fischilla said it last night. They're not a good – they stink. Jalen Rose wrote, you know, as you saw the scroll, and the Knicks needs. He said everything. The Knicks need everything. I mean, maybe he'll be Frederick Weiss. Maybe he'll be Nicholas Skidavili. Skidavili, maybe it'll be him. Maybe he'll be one of those, uh, Jan Vesley. Maybe it'll be him. Maybe. Maybe he'll be Dirk. Maybe he'll be Powell. I mean, maybe one of those guys. Or maybe he'll stink and never materialize. But you look at the Knicks, and, and, and this is a team, you know, you could say, you, do you feel bad for Melo? Very difficult to feel bad for Melo because Melo knew in some respect, what he was getting into. You know, he could say in their reports that people close to him, you know, feel like Melo has been tricked. He's been, uh, you know, bamboozled, I guess. He's been taken advantage of in some respect. You know, he's, uh, Phil Jackson put a, put, put a you know, bamboo, you know, hoodwinked him. 
Put something over his face. You know? Got one over on him. But Frank Gasola is reporting it. You know, Stephen A. Smith is reporting it. That, you know, I was unhappy. Well, what's going on with the New York Knicks? I mean, they they traded Tim Hardaway Jr. away uh, to get Jerry and Grant. You know, I liked Hardaway Jr. I liked Hardaway Jr. But, you know, they, they're making moves after moves after moves, and you're, you're thinking about these Knicks moves, and you're like, what are they doing? And, you know, ultimately, they, you know, Phil Jackson talked about, hey, you know, I'm doing a good job. Who's believing that Phil Jackson is actually doing a good job? Who, who believes that Phil Jackson is actually doing a good job? Is he really doing that good of a job? Really? I mean, what has he done that's so great? He says he, he's done a good job of shedding bad contracts. Okay, maybe that's true. But who are you? Who have you brought back? You have a guy in Carmelo Anthony who is a superstar, and you brought him in. You brought him in. With, with you brought him back, obviously, and and having him think that you guys actually are going to do something that will will actually make you guys a better basketball team and a championship caliber team. Here's the thing: Phil Jackson is a great NBA coach, maybe the best. In the history of the game, a great coach. But we never know Phil Jackson to be a great executive. He's never done it before. Never. Never done it before. Never at all. And, you know, I've heard, you know, I heard today, you know, guys saying, you know what? I haven't seen Phil Jackson at, uh, I haven't seen Phil Jackson at, you know, College basketball games. I haven't seen them scout college basketball games. I haven't seen them there. <laughs> I mean, Phil Jackson, I guess he has a plan. Just everybody has a plan. Sam Hinkie has a plan. Phil Jackson has a plan. Everybody has some kind of plan. I just don't know what it is. It doesn't, it's, it, I, guess it's, I guess it's not for me to know, but it's not very, it's not a plan that doesn't seem like it's going to work. To me, the plan at this point is, you might as well trade Melo. He's 31 years old. You might, you got to see what kind of value he has, and you got to get the most you can get. The Knicks are in rebuild mode. Melo didn't sign up for that. But Melo, he wanted money, and he's got a lot of it. He's going to go home to a lot of money, and la la, and, and life is good for Melo. Maybe not on the basketball court, but life is good for Melo. We're going to bring in a guy now who, you know, he probably wasn't happy with the pick last night. Um, you know, he, he might at this point be seeing Frederick Weiss walking through that door. I mean, that's who he's seeing right now. Maybe even Mike Sweeney walking through that door. I mean, you know, that's what he's seeing at this point. Visions of, of, of Euros going bad. Not Mike Sweeney, but Frederick Weiss. Visions of Euros going bad. And, and this guy, we're going to bring him in now, Rice University, and lifelong Knicks fan, Marlon Gill. <laughs> Marlon. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? How's everything? Everything is good. How are you? I'm uh, doing all right, man. Uh, we got a little team camp running this weekend, so you know. But for you, I, I'll give you some time, man. For you, Pre- I do this. And anybody else, I don't know. But for you, I do it. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. Pre- truly appreciate that. Let's get right down to it. I mean, the NBA draft went last night. Obviously, you're a lifelong Knicks fan. And before we get to that, let's go to what we saw last night. What We knew Towns was going to go first, second and third. It was questionable. There was talk that the Lakers like Russell better than Okafor. And there was talk that the Lakers like Okafor better than Russell. Ultimately, the Lakers decided to go with D'Angelo Russell. Your thoughts on that? Was that the right move? Uh, I think it was. And the re- reason being, you know, you need a, a point guard and – D'Angelo Russell is probably the best guy in the draft for the Lakers to take. And, you know, with that not taking a big guy like, like Jaleel Okafor, I think, you know, you got to remember they still have uh, Julius Rent, uh who missed all of last year. You know, so he was a four-man. You need a five. And I think they're banking on free agency. I mean, you got guys out there like DeAndre Jordan uh, who, who doesn't have to change uh, – just have to change locker rooms, doesn't have to change arenas. You know, he, he's a guy that will be available – uh, you know, Kevin Love, you know, there's talks about him coming back to the West Coast. And then you got LaMarcus Aldridge, who everybody's uh, trying to get their hands on. So I, I think, you know, from that five spot, man, you had more guys with substance available through free agency rather than taking a guy like Jaleel Okafor uh, with the second pick. You know, going with the point guard, you know, it's not a bad move. And a guy like Russell, man, he, he wants to be challenged. And, you know, with Kobe Bryant still in the locker room, he will be challenged. So do you feel like that Russell is going to be the better pro, or do you feel like this is just a better fit? I think it was just a better fit. Uh, you know, any time you can get a chance to take sides, you do that. But I think right now with what they were looking for, point guard was the need, and, you know, D'Angelo Russell was the guy that they chose. And ultimately the Lakers made the decision. So you feel like at some point – they're going to get maybe DeAndre Jordan, maybe a DeMarcus Cousins, maybe, uh, you know, Kevin Love. Some, you, somebody else is walking through that door at the end of the day. I think that they are, and I think obviously you, that's what you believe as well, correct? Oh, no, without a doubt. Now, I think uh, DeAndre Jordan is less likely, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kevin Love or LaMarcus Aldridge in the Lakers before. Let me ask you this now. We, we go to the third pick and ultimately the Philadelphia 76ers who – have, you know, a bunch of bigs, and they, they drafted a whole bunch of bigs, especially in that second round. But they got a whole bunch of bigs and and, and Bead and, and Noel, and now, that, now they add to that uh, Jalil Okafor. Do you feel like that was the right pick for the Philadelphia 76ers? I, I think taking Okafor told me one thing. Jalil and Bede will never play for the Sixers. You don't need them. Okay. You, you, you tried that experiment. It didn't work. You move on from it. You know, you move Nerlens Noel down to the four where he's better suited. You have open four at the five, and now you solidify your, your front court probably for the next seven to ten years. You know, free agency always changes things, but those two young guys there uh, can only get better. So I'm, I'm expecting uh, big things from your sixers. <laughs> and yeah, and to me, I mean, I, I thought it was the right pick as well. But my, my, my thought process is this, you know what? You got three bigs. If one works out, you're still good. So if you get one out of three that work out, you're actually in a good situation. So, I mean, it's a, he was the best available player as far as I was concerned at that point in time. We're talking right University Assistant Basketball. Hey, coach. and you know what? I'll, I'll say this, uh, not to cut you off, but was Sam Hinkie's, uh famous line, trust the process? I mean, I'm sure <laughs> you guys down in, in the silly area are trusting the process. Let's see. See how much trust you guys have. <laughs> at this, I guess you really don't have a choice. Just like 
we'll go to your Knicks. You really don't have a choice at this point in time to trust the process in terms of Phil Jackson, the executive. We know what he is, the coach, but Phil Jackson, the executive, at this point in time, you know, we don't really know what's going on with the Knicks. And ultimately, they decided to take Porzingis. They decided to take a guy with, with a huge upside, a lot of risk, and possibly a lot of reward. But only time will be the judge of that. Were you okay with the Porzingis pick at number four as a Knicks fan? Well, in, in contrast to you Sixers fans that were trusting the process with Sam Hinkie, I am not trusting the process with Phil Jackson. It, it was a, a bad pick. And, you know, we've been down this road before as Knicks fans uh, taking foreign guys, and it just hasn't panned out for us. So why not go with a, a sure thing? You know, yeah, we've all heard the reports about Porzingis, you know, the upside that he has. The Knicks don't need upside right now. They need immediate help. Uh, and, and, you know, for a guy like Carmelo, for all the flack that he takes uh, within the media, if I'm him, I'm upset right now, you know, because we didn't get better. We're on a three- to four-year plan. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, Carmelo doesn't have three to four years to play at the level right. that he's playing at now. You know, he, right. he needs to win now. And it, I, I wouldn't be upset if he has to be traded. Man. He has every right now. Here's a guy that, you know, yeah, he, he took the money, but he came back to New York when he could have left. And this is what you put in front of him. It's unfair to him as a player, I think. Let me ask you this. Is it? To, to me, it is, but I want to get your opinion. You're a Knicks fan. Is it time to trade Carmelo Anthony, being that the Knicks, you know, to get rid of Tim Hardaway Jr., obviously Shumpert, J.R. Smith are out the door. The Knicks are basically rebuilding. Is it time at this point in time for the Knicks to trade Melo and just really, truly gut this thing and start this thing all over? Oh, no, without a doubt. You know, give him a chance to go to a contender. Um, you know, he's not a bad guy, you know, off the court where, you know, you don't want him to succeed and see him have a good opportunity to win the championship. Uh, you know, he deserves it, you know, for everything that he's done in this league, you know, from an individual standpoint. You know, and now he's at that age where you understand that the team success is the most important thing. And uh, let's just be honest, right now where the Knicks are, there's no success coming anytime soon. And uh, it's unfortunate, but you know, I'm sure Phil Jackson has a plan, but like I said, in contrast to Stan Hinkie, I'm not trusting this process. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Knicks do moving forward with Mello and just what Mello wants to do moving forward uh, being with the Knicks. Let me ask you this now as we, as we go through the draft. Obviously, there's always teams who, who, who feel, you feel like did a good job on draft night. Is there any teams that stand out for you that you felt, you know what, they did a good job? On draft night, uh, I, I think the Pistons taking Stanley Johnson. You know that that was a position that they needed another wing uh, with some size that can you know make plays and, and plays hard. I think taking him at number eight w- was big. Uh, I like DeLon Wright going to Toronto. You know, big point guard. You know, gives him a chance to back up uh, Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, you know what you're getting from him—a guy that's played four years of college. Uh, you know, Tyus Jones going to, to Minnesota, um, drafted by Cleveland and then traded to Minnesota, I think was a good pick. Uh, the steal of the draft for me, though, I think, is uh, Cameron Payne. Uh, you know, I, I had him high on my draft board. Everybody's got a draft board, but I, I had him high on mine. And, you know, I was actually hoping the Knicks would trade down and get another player to take Cameron Payne. 
uh, somewhere in the first round. But, you know, he goes 14 to the Thunder. Uh, you know, now he's in a situation almost similar to what uh, Reggie Jackson had uh, when he was in OKC. Coming off the bench, you know, you're just able to play your game. And to be honest, uh, you know, Cam Zane is going to play with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he said it last night uh, during his uh, post-draft interviews. You know, he's looking forward to proving to people that, hey, I deserve to be here in the NBA. And, you know, what a better fit for a team to be on than, than the Thunder, you know, to play with a Westbrook, a Durant, you know, both those guys come back healthy, and Ibaka, you know, and, and you just slide right into what you need to do to be successful. You got a guy like Billy Donovan who's pretty familiar with Cameron Payne, uh, just w- watching him over the years in college. So I, I think that, that was a good fit. I also like what the Cavs did uh, in the second round, you know, trading uh, to get Rakeem Christmas. You know, if it was one thing that we saw in the finals that they liked, there was a big guy, besides Tristan Thompson, a big guy that had some size that could guard the perimeter a little bit, move his feet, recover, block a shot. You know, those are all things that Rakeem Christmas did at Syracuse. Yeah, I, I know they played zone up there, but he was a guy that could block shots, was athletic, pretty mobile for, for size. So I, I like what they did. And, you know, I, I think another pick that will go unnoticed is uh, the Dallas Mavericks pick with the kid uh, Santam Singh. Now, don't get me wrong, the kid stinks. I'm going to be totally honest with you. The kid had no Division One offers. Nobody recruited him, and, and we've all seen him. You know, nobody recruited him, and now he gets drafted. People are scratching their head. i say one thing. It's marketing. Mark Cuban okay. saw this guy of Indian descent. It's like, hey, why not take a chance on him? Let's go get that community. Let's get some money that comes with that. Smart move. Even if you just keep him on the roster, you've now branched out into the Indian community that say, hey, let's go see the Mavericks. They have one of our own. Not a bad look at all. Will he ever play for the Mavericks? Never. He wouldn't even play for us right now here at Ryder. But he's in the <laughs> NBA, and Mark Cuban un- understands the game and knows what he's doing. For sure. <laughs> for sure. We're talking to Ryder University uh, assistant basketball coach Marley Gill. Marley, who, who are your losers? I mean, we, we got your winners. Who Who lost? Uh, other than your next last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to start with them. But uh, I, I'd say uh, the Celtics had me scratching my head a little bit. You know, they were guard-heavy already. And then you take Rozier, who is a very good point guard. Uh, I, I think he'll have a lot of success with the Celtics. But now what are you going to do with Marcus Smart, who had a, a pretty good year as well? I, I think those two guys can be a future at, at that point guard spot. I don't think Smart shoots well enough to slide off the ball to be as effective, so that'll be interesting. Uh, and then you take R.J. Hunter, who's probably one of the best shooters uh, in the draft besides Devin Booker. Um, you know, But I'm not sure. He's very similar to what they have in James Young that they took last year. So, I, And I don't think he's giving up on James Young just as yet. You know, so so that those two picks were a little interesting. You, you know, I'm sure Danny Ainge will figure it out. And then you take Marcus Thornton in the second round as well, who's another guard. So I'm, I'm not too sure what, what they were doing. I, I thought they needed some size and 
you know, taking Jordan Mickey in the second round was good too. But with all those guards, you can't play them all. And some guys will be unhappy, and I know they have draft picks going into the future. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what they do. And then, you know, I, I thought about it for a while, and, and another team, you know, I, I didn't know at first what your Sixers were doing. But uh, I kind of figured it out that, hey, you're getting rid of MV, so I guess that's a good thing. Right. So those, those are – the Knicks, obviously, they're, they're in that mix as well. Oh, yes, they are. They are. But I'm tired of bashing the Knicks. I've been bashing the Knicks for the past uh, 24 hours. They're tired of me. I just got a text from uh, one of their higher-ups at Madison Square Garden said, stop talking about it. So I'm going to stop talking about them. Okay, so don't talk about it no more. (laughs) (laughs) And he, Justice Winslow, I mean, he's a guy a lot of people have talked about, a lot of people very high on him. Ultimately, he went 10 to the Miami Heat. There was talk that the Boston Celtics were willing to give up a whole bunch of picks to the Charlotte Hornets in order to get their hands on Justice Winslow. How good can Justice Winslow actually be in your mind? I would have taken him at four with the Knicks, okay. without a doubt. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's one of the most intriguing guys in the draft just because of what, what he brings to the table. You know, uh, six 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 seven lefty with some size, can put the ball on the floor. You know, to make a standstill shot, you know, he's not shooting on, on the move, you know, which was something I think that probably hurt him. Uh, but, you know, he, he's going to have a chance. And I, I think right now the team that he's going to, you know, it is a good thing. I I'll tell you what, he's already uh I'm already a fan of his, I should say. Last night reading his Twitter, he's already been hit up by Gabrielle Union. I'd love to be Justice Winslow right now. <laughs> <laughs> we all know your 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 love for for one Gabrielle Union. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife, but yeah. I won't, I won't, I won't. Good. Never. Never, never. <laughs> um, let me, let, let's get your final thoughts on the NBA Finals. Um, it all ended. Golden State Warriors ultimately won in six. After game three, the Cavaliers were, you know, they gave, that was it for them. The Golden State Warriors figured them out. They went small, ultimately won the NBA Finals. Any final thoughts on those NBA Finals? I, I'll say this. Me being a Knicks fan, everybody sees why I wasn't upset with getting rid of J.R. Smith and Emar Shumpert. They were both horrible. <laughs> Uh, in the finals and proved my point. You know, I couldn't really say too much about Jr. out in public because I didn't want to lose recruiting any local kids, but I'll say it on your show. They were just horrible was to, to both of them. Uh, and, and LeBron was really playing five-on-one. And uh, when you had Mozgov in the game, he's playing five-on-two. But then when you take Mozgov out you put Thompson in, you're still playing five-on-two. Three of their other guys didn't step up, step up and it showed. Uh, you know, Della Vadova, you know, pretty much uh, hit his peak after game one, you know, just for game two and a little bit of game three. But that was pr- pretty much it. And I, I just think, uh, you know, the, the Warriors played a better game. I think David Blatt was outcoached by Steve Kerr altogether. And, uh, you know, did he show a little bit of uh, experience? Yeah, but, you know, I think that all come with time. At the end of the day, you know, the Warriors were the better team, top to bottom. Uh, David Lee, another uh, Knicks exile uh, that we won't talk about, but, you know, he played well. Uh, Draymond Green, you know, everybody wishes they had a guy like Draymond Green on their team and just does the dirty work and gets under 
the skin of uh, guys on the other team. Everybody just played their role. And when you play your role and play for each other, you know, the Warriors has proved again what can happen by, by winning a championship. Now, will they do it next year? No, because I, I think uh, LeBron will finally get one in Cleveland next year. But, uh, you know, kudos to the Warriors for uh, doing what they did in six games. One quick one before we get out of here. There's been a lot of talk of, you know, the notion that uh, the, the league is going small, it's turning small because of what the Golden State Warriors did uh, throughout the course of this season, winning 67 games, ultimately winning the NBA Finals. My thing is this. I, I feel like I'm not prepared to go all the way there because, to me, the Golden State Warriors avoided two teams that had talented bigs that I think could get, could have given them problems with the San Antonio Spurs, avoiding a Tim Duncan, and with the, uh, the the Clippers avoiding a Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan. But is the league going small, or is this just a, a fad or, or a myth? Oh, uh, you know what? I, I don't I don't think it's a fad. I, I think you know a, a little bit of luck, but you know, let's not take anything away from the Warriors. Uh, sure. They were clicking at, at the right time, and you know, they have no control over who's put in front of them. You know, they, they just play whoever the opponent is and, and go out and play to their strengths. Um, I, I think, you know, and I said it on your show, I, I really thought that the Grizzlies would beat the Warriors just because of the size. And, uh, you know, they, they were able to prove me wrong. But, you know, I, I look at even in the finals, you got a team like Cleveland who on, on ball screen, uh, pick and roll actions, besides Tristan Thompson, none of the Cavs up bigs could guard those guys. And, you know, it's just the way the game is now. Uh, you, you know, so I, I don't think it's a, a myth, you know, maybe more so of a fad, but you just never know. But uh, I, I think they got hot at the right time, and, you know, you can't knock them for that. For sure. And I know you're now Ryder University assistant basketball coach. you you got to be excited about your new job, your new role with Ryder University. Oh, no, I, I am, man. Uh, to, to be honest, you know, leaving St. Peter's was, was very tough. But, uh, you know, every once in a while we, we need a breath of fresh air. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity that Rodney University has given me. You know, I, I like you know, the vision I like what Coach Baggett has going on there. You know, whatever way I would help, contribute to help us get better, I'm willing to do that. For sure. Marlon. Been a pleasure talking to you throughout the course of these playoffs. Pleasure talking to you through talking about this NBA draft. As always, let's do it again. No, no problem, Paul. As always, thanks for having me, man. Enjoy your camp. No, thanks, man. No, I thanks. appreciate it. I appreciate it. Take care. Marlon Guild, Ryan University, assistant basketball coach. Pleasure talking to him, getting his insight on what he saw and what he believes. Uh, you know, what happened in the NBA draft, What who did right, who did wrong, and who improved themselves last night. Back to the Knicks. I mean, this is a team in a lot of trouble. 2016, they have no first-round pick. They're go- it goes elsewhere. I mean, they're a team that is in dire need of assets, like the Sixers, who have a bunch of assets, a bunch of picks, like the Celtics, who have a bunch of assets and a bunch of picks. That's what the Knicks need, and and they're they're in a bad situation. They they really are, and you know it's easy to blame Phil for for what's going on, but 
I mean, you know, Isaiah didn't really do a great job. Donnie Walsh couldn't do it any better, didn't do much better. And now that they're in the same situation, I mean, the, the Knicks, you know, they're in a rough spot. And I think Melo, you know, again, we can feel sorry for the guy, but he had to have known if he just looked at the situation where the Knicks were. I mean, like I said, I mean, let's just say they take Winslow. I mean, how much does Winslow make them a better basketball team? You know, I mean, you know, there's still holes on this team. And how are you going to get get and fill those holes? I mean, you know, maybe free agency. You know, maybe you can do that. But may, I mean, but it, it, the draft helps. It, it helps to have picks. It helps to be able to, to draft. You know, they, they tanked. Stephen A. Smith talked about it, but they can't even tank right. You know, they they, they messed up tanking. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I had coming into last season with Phil there, Derek Fisher there. You know, maybe I, you know, you know, put too much stock in the Phil and Derek Fisher, but I, I felt like the Knicks were a decent, a fairly talented team. Not, you know, you know, your house holds ain't called around there, but you know, they, they kind of broke it down. You know, got rid of Tyson Chandler, they got rid of Shumpert and J.R. Smith, but they had called around, and you figured with Tyson Chandler, but ultimately they got rid of him. But I thought he had Melo, you know, J.R. Smith. He's hot and cold, but you know, when the Knicks had a lot of success and won those fifty games under Mike Woodson a few years back, you know, he was one of the reasons why that Knicks team had a lot of success and one of the reasons why they got to the second round of the playoffs. So, I, I, and, you know, Shumpert, the solid defender, a guy who has decent skill set, you know, we've been waiting for him to take that next step. And maybe what we saw in Cleveland is who he is, just a role player who can defend and, you know, hit an open shot. That's maybe who he is. But the, the Knicks, I thought, would be a little better. Melo signed that big deal. I thought, that, you know, he'd be motivated to get it done. Ultimately, he was hurt and missed, what, 40 some games last season. And so, missed half of the year. And so, the Knicks, I thought, were, were, were going to be better. I thought they would get into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. But this is a team now, um, the New York Knicks, who are, are rebuilding. They just are. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr., maybe second to Melo, maybe was their second best player, maybe Jose Calderon as well. I mean, second or third best player. And now he's gone. He's out the door, and now you got Porzingis, who you're bringing in, but obviously he's not going to really truly contribute until a few years from now. So by the time he's get ready to contribute and turn into the guy that Knicks fans want him to be and Phil Jackson wants him to be, Melo's going to be 33, 34 years old and not the same player, not the stud star that he is, not the, the, the scoring machine that he is. He's going, to be a to- he's going to be on the other side of his career. And so – Melo's got to be frustrated. I mean, the, the Knicks fan base is frustrated. The Knicks are in a bad spot. They really are in a bad spot right now. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. So they're trying to run this triangle, but it's very difficult to, to put out certain objects in that triangle. I mean, triangle, square, circle, rhombus. You know, purple. You know, whatever, whatever, parallelogram, whatever they want to run. They don't. You need talent. You need players. You know, you need Shaq and Kobe. That makes the triangle run very well. You know, Michael and Scotty. That makes the triangle run beautifully. But uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and and Clee Anthony, Clee, whatever his name is. Uh, you got a. Uh, 
Hardaway Jr., who was there last year. I mean, those guys aren't Jordan and Pippen, Langston Galloway. Those guys aren't Shaq and Kobe. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the Knicks, they're a mess. They are truly a mess. And the mess may have just gotten messier. It's time for the Knicks to start all over. It's time for the Knicks to to move on from Melo. It's time for the Knicks to really, really think about it's time to rebuild. It's 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 trying it's time to officially rebuild this thing and, and, and start this thing all over. It's time. Time. It's really time. And ESPN Ian Ian O'Connor pointed out and tweeted out that Jim Beheim told people close to Carmelo Anthony last summer that he needed to leave New York for Chicago to try to win a ring. Apparently he didn't say that directly to him, but he said that to people close to Melo. Well, <laughs> he was right. But Melo chose money. He chose money. And, you know, maybe his wife, there's, there's talk that his wife wanted to stay in New York. La, la, she wanted to stay in New York. And, and so they decided to stay in New York. And I messed up his name, Clee Anthony Early. <laughs> but it's a lot easier with Clee Anthony Early. I mean, Clee Anthony Early and, and Langston Galloway and, and Alexi Sved are, are running the triangle. Jason Smith running the triangle. I mean, come on. That's not Jordan and Pippen. That's not Shaq and Kobe. You know what I mean? That's that's bums. Lance Thomas running the triangle. Lou Almondson running the triangle. Come on. That's not Shaq and Kobe. That's not Shaq and Kobe at all. Jordan or Pippen? So, Phil, you got some things to do to improve this roster moving forward. You got some things that you need to do moving forward to make New York Knicks a viable team, a better basketball team. I don't know if you can do it, man. I don't know if you can do it. You got a lot of work in front of you. But Melo, if I'm Melo at this point in time, at some point in time, I'm getting with my team, my advisors, and I'm saying, you know what, fellas, it's time for me to, to demand this trade. I need to get out of here. I can't win here. What they're doing is not what they told me they were going to do. I can't win in New York City with Phil Jackson, with the New York Knicks, under these conditions with these players. It's not going to work. So I need to talk to, to Phil, to James Dolan, and I say, fellas, you know what? It's time for me to go. I need to get out of here. You guys are rebuilding. I can't rebuild. I'm 31 years old. I can't do it. I'm good. By the time you guys get right, I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to be 34 years old. And I'm going to be done. Give, not done, but I'm not going to give you the type of basketball I, have, I could have given you a few years back. So it's, it's time for decisions to be made. It's time for change to be made in New York City. It's time to blow it up. And if you're going to blow it up, blow it up right. Get rid of Melo. Get some draft picks in here. You know, get, get some draft picks. Get some players. Blow this thing up and, and move forward. Second hour of Go For It. Start right now.
welcome to go for it. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. (laughs) Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Roxy. (laughs) That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) Second hour, go for it. Starting right now. In this hour. We're expected to be joined by one of the stars of HBO's hit show, Ballers, Omar Benson Miller, who will be joining us. Going to talk to him about that new hit show on HBO, starring The Rock. Rock is in there. Rock's a big dude. As we go throughout the course of this hour, we're going to get to Justin Combs, that whole situation, um, and we'll talk that. Um, we'll also get to Ryan Sandberg, and we're going to get to Ryan Sandberg Right now, Ryan Sandberg out as the coach of the manager, excuse me, of the Philadelphia Phillies. He resigned today. The Phillies, very bad baseball team. And if you're in Philadelphia right now, and I'm a Philadelphia dude, I love Philadelphia sports. You know, it's obviously frustrating to see that I had no basketball season, but I'm okay with that. I'm great with that. That's fine. But I didn't also have a base. I don't have a baseball season, so. For a lot of people in Philadelphia, it's all about now, let's get to training camp. Let's get to Philadelphia Eagles training camp. But when we get there, it might not be much fun either. But I look at now the Philadelphia Phillies. Obviously, this team wasn't going to have a good season. They they were expected to struggle. They're doing exactly what many expected them to do. They're struggling bad. They're a bad baseball team. And they're in rebuild mode. At this point, their talk that they're going to bring in a new president, Andy McPhail. You know, right now Pat Gillick is the president. And when McPhail comes in, that's probably going to be the end of Ruben Amaro as the GM of the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, good riddance to him. I guess what a lot of people in Philadelphia would say at this point in time because obviously the Phillies are in a bad spot. I mean, you know, they, they had a lot of success with, with the Utley's. Chase Sutley, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, uh, Chuch Ruiz, Cole Hamels. A lot of success with those guys. But ultimately, the Phillies, those guys stayed, but the guys around them just didn't get better, couldn't get better, and they didn't bring in the right guys. You know, they tried pitching, you know, with the four aces and Holiday and Hamels and, and Oswalt. I mean, they tried there. It didn't work. Cliff Lee, it didn't work. And the Phillies ultimately made some bad trades. Rubens made some bad deals along the way. Hunter Pence deal really wasn't all that great. I mean, they made some bad moves. And in the midst of making those bad moves, they were a team that never could improve their situation. 
You know, they, they, they didn't improve their situation. They hung on the talent too long. Maybe they over they overpaid for Ryan Howard at the time. Many people thought it was, you know, some people at the time said they overpaid for him. But, you know, you had to really essentially give him the money at that point in time. But, you know, Utley and, 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 and Rollins, I mean, maybe they kept with it. They still got Utley, and Utley's been god-awful this season. Awful. Awful for the Phillies. He's done. And now they're stuck with him. Howard, he's got a big contract. They're stuck with him. Rollins ultimately was traded in the offseason to the Dodgers. But the Phillies aren't, aren't, aren't a team that just are not in a good position. They're really not. You know, their, their farm system is not that great. And they're in a bad spot. And Ruben Amaro, you know, it's, it's no wonder he lasted this long, Ruben Amaro. But a lot of people were down on Rhino, Ryan Sandberg. And, and ultimately, he decided to resign. You don't know if he was pushed out, but he did say, he didn't mention, you know, the Phillies obviously are going to go through some changes. And the reality is he's probably not going to be a part of those changes. Phillies the worst record in baseball, worst team in baseball. Ryan Sandberg said change was coming, and he knew, you know, he probably wasn't going to be at the top. He, he wasn't going to be there. He wasn't going to be there when those changes come. Quote, he said, with some changes at the top looming, I did not want to be in the way of anything happening and progress going forward. That means basically he knew he was gone. He was gone, and he knew that he had no shot of, of staying there. Pete McCanning is going to be uh, the interim manager for the Phillies at this point in time, I believe for the weekend, and they're going to figure out what they're going to do moving forward, maybe be McCannon for the rest of the year. But uh, the Phillies are in a bad spot, bad baseball, bad baseball team. You know, obviously, uh, you know, they have some chips and, and Pablo Bond and, and Cole Hamels, and they got to figure out what they're going to do with Pablo Bond and Cole Hamels. Can't, Hamels, more than likely is going to go and Papa Bond's more than likely. Both of them are probably going to be going when it's all said and done. And if they can find somebody from Ryan Howard, obviously they're probably going to have to eat a bunch of salary uh, for Ryan Howard to get rid of him. So they're really in a bad spot. And they're in a situation where they're going to have to, to build this team up from the bottom. There is some money. You know, there's definitely some money with TV deals and everything. So with that being said, being there, there is some money. For the Phillies, I mean, maybe they can turn this around quicker than 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 expected. But you know, obviously they got to get better. Obviously they got to do a better job with their farm system, and obviously they they need to to make better deal free agent deals. I mean, they got to get some free agents, and they also got to make some better trades. And so, obviously in this offseason, obviously you, you wonder if Ruben's going to be the guy that's going to be able to pull the trigger on Cole Hamels and make that trade, or whether. Uh, Ruben's going to be gone. Ruben tomorrow is going to be gone, and the Phillies will decide, and, and management will decide. You know, Andy McPhail maybe will decide to figure. You know, do the deal himself. I'm, I'm not going to let Ruben. I'm not going to trust Ruben with this asset of Cole Hamels. I'm not going to trust that he can get this right. So let me go elsewhere because this, this is a big move. This is our biggest chip. This is this is the biggest key possibly, or 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 the biggest uh, guy that we can we have to get better moving forward. So. I can't let Ruben tomorrow handle this trade. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But ultimately, the Phillies are in a bad spot. We knew they were going to be in a bad spot. And right now, you know, we don't know how long this bad spot is going to be, but it may take some time for the Phillies to get back to respectability. It may take some. It may take a long, long, long time. A few years. I mean, two to three years at least for this thing to get right in Philadelphia. And Ryan Sandberg wanted no part of that. And I guess, he, again, the writing was on the wall with new management. Obviously becomes 
new people. When management, new management comes in, they want to bring their own people in. Ryan Sandberger wasn't there was their guy. It wasn't Andy McFell's guy. So obviously, you know, new management means new people, which means uh, a change. And so now the Phillies will make changes. Ryan Sandberger is the first. I don't know if, it's, you know, obviously he decided to move out on himself, but who knows, he might have been pushed out as well, but he's gone. Ryan Sandberg, no more. He's resigned, and the Phillies continue to rebuild. Hopefully that rebuild, as a Philadelphia Phillies fan, hopefully that rebuild doesn't take a long, long time. But we, even before, you know, they started having success in 2007, and you know, ultimately that they won in 2008 the World Series. Even before that, and got back to the World Series in 2009. But even before that, you know, there was some. There was a lot of lean years in Philadelphia. The era of baseball in Philadelphia that just passed, and you know, Philly's losing his what? Losing his baseball team in the history of sports. Losing his team in the history of sports. And so, with, with all the things that happened to you know the, the how bad they were. They were bad before this. The era that just passed was Hamels and. Howard and Utley and Rollins and, and that whole crew, that whole crew, Burrow, Pat Burrow. But b- before that, there were a lot of lean years in Philadelphia. But they built the farm system up. Ed Wade, give him credit. Obviously, Pat Gillick was ultimately the guy that brought him in to put it over the top. But Ed Wade, you know, put some pieces there. But anyway, there were some lean years in Philly, a lot of lean years. Yeah, what, the 93 Phillies and then a lot of years of losing. A lot of years of losing. And then you had this era of baseball where the Phillies were on, what, five, six years of, of continued success. Now it's over. It ended a few years ago. And now it's time to build it back up, and we'll see what the Phillies do to build it back up moving forward. Last night, I want to go back to the NBA draft. Uh, according to a report, the Boston Celtics, six picks they offered the Charlotte Hornets to get up to nine, six picks. The the Celtics wanted Justice Winslow. So they wanted to move up to 16, from 16 to nine to get Winslow. Uh, according to reports, they offered six picks, four possible first-rounders for Charlotte's ninth pick. The Hornets obviously said no. And obviously, they decided to draft Frank the Tank Kaminsky. Now, we don't. I mean, Danny H. did acknowledge, acknowledge in a quote, maybe we were going too hard at it. There was a time when I thought, whoa, this is getting a little out of control. We're putting a lot of eggs in one young player's basket. So I'm not frustrated. In the long run, maybe it'll be the best. And maybe it was. I mean, six picks. Just to get up to get Justice Winslow, I mean, I don't know how uh, you know. A lot of people are high on Winslow. Marlon Gill said he would took Winslow at four. And a lot of you, you've heard that sentiment about Winslow, but six picks is a lot. That that's a lot for Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow. I'm sorry, it's a lot. But ultimately, ultimately, the deal didn't happen. Ultimately, the Hornets took Frank Kaminsky. And, you know, if the six picks were actually, is true, then you got to question the Hornets. 
maybe they believe Frank Kaminsky is 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 a guy that they they really is a guy they really coveted, and a guy they really wanted, and a guy they really need moving forward. That's what they, obviously that's the way they felt because they stood pat and decided not to uh, take the deal. But you look at <clears throat> the Warner sound; they're trying to remake their roster. You know, obviously uh, making a deal, trading uh, Noah Vanye and Gerald Henderson to get in their hands on Nicholas Batum. Um, you know, making a bunch of different trades throughout this offseason to try to get themselves. I, and I don't blame them. I mean, the Hornets actually not opposed to those deals. I mean, Vanya was a guy that a lot of people were like, wow, they were, they were pretty high on him at the time when the Hornets made that pick last season. And they were thinking a lot of people's thought was that, you know, that's a very good pick, Vanya. That's definitely a good pick for the Charlotte Hornets. But it didn't work out. He didn't get on the basketball court. And and so you look at the Hornets, and their team is trying to remake themselves. They're remaking themselves at this point in time. Jordan, uh, Rich Cho, you know, the GM, they're saying, you know what, let's let's remake this team, a team that, you know, had uh, playoffs aspirations. They had playoff aspirations. And so – but at the at the same time, you know, they had playoff aspirations. They struggled last season. They had some struggles last season. But they made some deals, and, and hopefully for the Hornets it works out. They made some moves, and we'll see if it will make them a better basketball team in 2016, 2015-2016 season. But we'll see if, the, if, if Kaminsky doesn't turn out to be a good player. The Hornets are going to have some explaining to do. A, not taking Justice Winslow, and A, B, and not taking Justice Winslow, also not taking that deal from the Boston Celtics. If in fact it was six draft picks, possibly four first rounders, if that in fact was the case, we've always heard Herm Edwards talk about pressing send and to, to Twitter. And always be careful and read it once, read it twice, read it three times before you send, press send. And no more is that important than what we've seen with this NBA draft. You know, we, we got a couple draft picks, Bobby Portis and also Larry Nance Jr., who – had some questionable tweets many moons ago before they were NBA stars or before they were out. They're not NBA stars, but before they were drafted in the NBA. A lot of questionable tweets. And and so you had Larry Nance talking about Kobe Bryant and his rape situation, you know, obviously talking reckless about Kobe Bryant and his rape situation. And, you know, obviously that was a few years back. But you got to be careful you press set. And obviously at the time, you know, in 2012, which was three years ago, he obviously didn't think about his words at that point in time. He was a teenager. And, and I've always said this. I'm glad they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and any other social media when I was growing up. Because, quite frankly, this stuff is, 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 is dangerous. Because you say things and, you know, 
this stuff stays up there forever unless you delete it. But if, you know, somebody really wants to retrieve it or somebody screen grabs it and keeps it, well, it's there forever. So you got to be careful and read it once, read it twice, read it three times before you press send. And you look at it, Larry Nance Jr., who now is going to be a teammate of Kobe Bryant, probably thought about that before he pressed send at 1044 on May 1st, 2012. Here's his tweet. Gee, I sure hope Kobe can keep his hands to himself in Denver this time. Hashtag rapist. Ooh. Ooh. Now you got to see this guy. Now you're his teammate. You guys are teammates. You're a teammate. And you said that? That's got to be different. That's got to be something that's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And, you know, Bobby Portis, same deal. May 19th, 2011, at 5. 45 p.m. Bobby Portis on his Twitter feed, and you got to remember three years ago, three years ago. So th- these guys are teenagers at this point in time, and teenagers do teenage-like things, and uh, and these are teenage-like things. And maybe Larry Nance Jr. didn't think he would be an NBA player. Maybe. Bobby Portis didn't think he'd be an NBA player. Maybe. But Bobby Portis was, what, 17 years old at the time. 17 years old. 17-year-old kid tweeting this out. At it, at the Prince J. It don't matter, fam. Bleep Rose and the Bulls. Team Heat over here. So bleep the bleep Rose and the Bulls. Team Heat. Well, and, and, and here's the thing: Kobe Bryant and well, even if, if if Portis was a fan of the Miami Heat, so you know he's been a fan. He's been a young fan, and and I would think that. The whole situation with, um, you know, Larry Nance Jr.'s tweet, a little more, a little more, or, wor- or worse than uh, Portis's tweet. I mean, Portis, you know what? I'm, he can easily say, "Look, man," uh, uh, and, and I think both of them can say the same thing. But Portis can say, "Look, man, I, I'm a, I was a Miami Heat fan at the time. You know, I wanted the Heat to win. You know, I was talking to my boy." I'm 17 years old, man. I don't know how to do this stuff, man. I'm just, I was young, dumb, and doing what young and dumb people do. So just forgive me, man. And I, and I think, you know, him and Rose can get past that quickly, easily, and move forward. You know, Nance, Larry Nance Jr., Kobe Bryant, a little more complicated, you know, because, you know, Kobe obviously dealing with that rape situation. Ultimately, he was able to get himself out of it. But, I mean, that, that that's that's pretty rough. Uh, that, that's pretty rough, you know. Those are pretty. That's pretty rough. Ultimately, they got to talk about it. 
They're going to have to talk about it. They're going to have to sit down. Sit down, and I think, you know, Kobe can be understanding to to, uh, to Nance and, like, look, man, I, I was young. You know, and I, they both can say the same thing, but Larry Nance Jr.'s tweet is worse than Bobby Portis' tweets. Most definitely it's worse. I mean, you, you know, hashtag rapist. Hashtag rapist. That's rough. That's rough. I mean, whether true or not true, what have you, ultimately Kobe Bryant, free man, no, no issues with it moving forward. But that's rough. That's rough. But, I mean, obviously, that's what young people do. Young people do young things. And that was a young thing that Bobby, that uh, Larry Nance and Bobby Porter's young thing. I mean, but Nance, he's going to talk to Kobe. And, you know, I think they'll get past it. I think they they got to see past it. And they don't got to be boys, but they got to make it work on the basketball court. Heck, Shaq and Kobe weren't boys, and they got it done on the basketball court. Again, you don't have to be best friends with the guy. You don't have to, you know, have beer with him and eat dinner at their house, and, you know, play with their kids and all that good stuff. You just got to get it done on the court. You just got to get it done on the court. But Mitch Kupchak's says he's talked to Larry Nance Jr. about it. And actually Nance deleted the tweet once he was selected, within minutes of his selection. So I guess he knew about it. And maybe, you know, with the NBA draft coming up, maybe he should have cleaned up his Twitter page, his Facebook page, and got rid of some of those things. Maybe. But, again, Mitch Kupchak said, really I'm not, quote, really I'm not in position to really share information, but it's something they will have to discuss among the two of them, meaning Kobe Bryant, meaning Larry Nance Jr., talking about the situation and why Larry Nance Jr. said or, or, or tweeted out that particular tweet. It happens. Stuff happens. They were young. They were dumb. And hopefully moving forward, they will be better and not tweet those things. I I, I think They've learned a lesson, but, you know, who, who, I mean, everybody has tweets out there. If you're tweeting, if you're Facebook and posting and, and all these things, you have stuff out there that, you know, from years ago that at the time you really didn't, wasn't that big of a deal to you. You know, you look back on it now and like, oh, that's pretty offensive. Let me get rid of that. A lot of people have had that, and that's what Porter's had, and that's what Larry Nance Jr. had as well. Justin Combs, Diddy. P. Diddy, in the news, getting into it with the strength and conditioning coach from UCLA, Sal Losi. You remember that Sal Losi who was on the Jets, uh, who tried to trip a Dolphin player on the sidelines. You know, that Sal Losi. And at this point in time, it looks like Sean Combs, Justin Combs' son, Sean Diddy's, Combs, Diddy's son, Justin May not be back with the team. He hasn't really gotten much playing time over the years. Not many tackles over the past few years. Not much in terms of production on the field from Justin Combs. But his dad is the world famous, P. Diddy. Diddy went in there, and I guess, you know, Sal Losi apparently was talking in in a way to his son that P. Diddy didn't like. Didn't like it at all. And so I guess Diddy at that point, you know, 
tried to, you know, they tried to go after, you know, Diddy, I guess, tried to go after him, tried to throw a kettlebell at him and all this other craziness. And, and obviously it was, a, it was a tough situation. Diddy was saying, take that, take that, take that. And Salosi ultimately, and Diddy was trying to throw the, you know, he picked up the kettlebell and ultimately was trying to throw it, but at that point he wasn't really near Salosi. And according to uh, a report out there, they are looking to remove, just, ultimately Justin Combs might be kicked off the uh, football team. And, I mean, that's a tough situation. And you kind of feel for Justin Combs. I mean, you, you have this dad and, and, and Sean Puffy Combs, P. Diddy, a, a guy who's world-renowned, world-famous, a lot of success. And, you know, obviously when, you, when you're a son of him and of P. Diddy, some people may have questions of whether or not does this guy truly belong there? Is he there because he's Diddy's son? You know, so on and so forth. Just having to live up to to that. And it's always got to be difficult when your dad is great. As when your dad is P. Diddy, it's got to be difficult to be his son because P. Diddy's had a lot of success. Apparently, you know, according to reports, you know, he, he felt like the reports are Diddy felt like, you know, Sal Losey was bullying his son. And these are reports out there. Who knows how true it is? You know, apparently Justin, according to some reports, according to TMZ, you know, Justin – uh, according to TMZ, Justin, uh, Sal Losey talked about Justin being courtside next to his dad at the All-Star game and, you know, I guess using it as a motivational tool for his other players, you know, just going after him and, and, and you know, maybe being unfair to the kid. But at the end of the day, this is football, and at the end of the day, Diddy's son has to fight a lot of ways his own battles, and maybe Diddy felt like, you know what, this enough is enough, i got to support my son. Apparently, one of the reasons uh, the issue started from when, when uh, Diddy's son, Justin, was thrown off the practice field by Salalosi, thrown off the field, and told not to come back for the rest of the summer. And so at that point, and I know apparently there's been some risks because uh, Diddy's son, Justin, was, was working out with a personal trainer, so on and so forth. But apparently it, it boiled over. Diddy went to the lock and went to Sal Losey's office. They got to it. Didn't work out well. Diddy was trying to – he was held back by uh, interns there. Ultimately, Diddy threw a kettlebell at somebody. He was arrested. He was taken into custody. There's a video out there. At some point, I guess, we'll see the video, and we'll see exactly what the video says or what the video shows us or what the video is going to tell us about what happened on – that particular day and why Diddy did what he actually did. And we'll see it. We'll hear it at some point. some point we'll figure out why Diddy did what he did, why he decided to Diddy bop or try to Diddy bop Salalosi or, or try to say, take that, take that to Salalosi. We'll see. But, you know, for Justin Combs, it's difficult. And that's got to be tough for him, man. It's, it's got to be a tough time for him because, you know, he's not getting much playing time. Maybe Alosi's picking on him. Maybe he's not. But, you know, if you feel like somebody's picking on you, somebody's being unfair to you, you know, that's got to be tough for you. And you didn't pick your parents. And so Diddy's his pop, but he didn't pick his parents. He got nothing to do with that. He's just trying to play football. 
He's trying to play the sport that he loves. You know, he's trying to, you know, he had a scholarship at UCLA, and he's trying to fulfill his scholarship. And whether he's good, not good, obviously based off how much playing time he's gotten, you know, he's not getting a lot. But, you know, you feel for the kid. You feel for the kid. And you just hope. We'll see, again, exactly what the details are and why this transpired and why it happened. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Time will, will tell us why this happened. Reports, I mean, uh, you know, information will tell us why this happened. You know, and there are, there are reports about Salalosi. I mean, there's a report out there that Salalosi once got into a fight with uh, Darrell Revis, a fist fight with Darrell Revis. There's a report out there that that happened, you know, according to TMZ. And TMZ, they're, they're getting it. They're getting it done. But apparently they got into a fist fight during the same year as the, the, the time where, you know, Alosi uh, had that situation where, you know, he tripped uh, Nolan Carroll on the sideline. And so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how this thing plays out. But, you know, Losey does have a pass. He does have a pass. And maybe, in fact, he was. Maybe he was. Actually. Um, Maybe he was bullying. Dustin Cohn. Maybe he was. And maybe Diddy, being the dad that he is, you know, any father, you see that kid getting bullied by a grown, you know, an adult. They're going to come and do something about it. His reaction had to be, his reaction was of a reaction of a guy who was upset about things that had been going on. I mean, you just, I, I mean, guy gets kicked off the, uh, the practice field. It seems like his reaction was more than just that particular incident. It had to be a series of incidents for him to react. Did he to be so furious and react the way he reacted? Had to. I mean, and, and Diddy apparently, you know, after uh, Justin got kicked out of practice, Diddy wanted an explanation. He wanted an explanation. And he felt like he deserved one. Didn't get it, obviously. And, you know, reports are he's bullied Justin. So we'll see how this whole situation works out. We'll see how it, uh, it shakes himself out. We'll see what happens moving forward. But, Diddy, in my mind, doesn't react this way unless something has been going on for a period of time, something that we will find out at some point. Why what Diddy did? We'll find out why Diddy decides to Diddy Bob. And they take that, take that, take that. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of Ballers, actor Omar. Actor Omar Benson Miller. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... 
That don't mean anything when the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw uh, you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around you. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Roxy. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. Welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That just doesn't mean it. anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Roxy. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back. Go for it. BlogTalkRadio.com. Paul Gain here. We're going to bring in a guy now doing big things right now on HBO's hit show, Ballers. It premiered last week. A lot of fanfare. A lot of love so far being given to the show. And we're going to see what's, happen- what's going to happen moving forward. We're going to bring in a guy now who's a big part of the show. Let's bring him in now, one of the stars of, Bill, of Ballers, actor Omar Benson Miller. Omar. What's up, man? How are you? I'm in. I'm here. What's going on? Uh, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, it's a good Ballers. feeling. What's going on with you guys? I'm pumped. Oh, I can't complain. Ballers premiered last week. A lot of fanfare, a lot of good talk so far about it. What kind of feedback are you hearing? You know what? The, the the majority of it is positive. The only negative feedback I've gotten, which is still positive, is that people wish that it was uh, people wish that it was an hour long instead of a half hour. But I okay. think that what happens is, you know, with with the way that it was, um, they're trying to jam up a lot of stuff in the first thirty minutes. Now I think that everything is established. The half-hour format is going to do us really well moving forward. Now, for those who have not seen the show, you play Charles Green on the show. He is a retired lineman. Who is Charles? 
man, Charles is a, is a good dude that's just trying to find his way, and he can't really figure out uh, what he's doing now that he's no longer playing ball. His entire identity has been about football, and now that he's no longer playing, he's trying to figure out how does he fit in society, and he's kind of having a rough go of it. And, yeah, most definitely. I saw watching last week, Charles was having a rough time. He's laying there on the couch, uh, and his wife wasn't really too happy with him. Let me ask you this. You know, a lot of times you see with uh, with football players after retirement, athletes in general, after retirement, they have a difficult time, you know, doing something after they retire. Doing this show and doing this particular role, do you have a greater appreciation for that? No question. I mean, I spoke to a lot of guys about it, and it's a, it's pretty common, to be honest. It's uh, it's pretty common amongst the guys because to get to the level of a professional athlete, you have to commit so much of yourself. You know, so, so literally this is probably what you've been doing since you were a little boy. And so then once it ends, you're kind of like, wow, what do I do? I don't, I don't need to go to practice. I don't need to go hit the gym. Uh, what am I doing? And truth be told, a lot of these guys are getting shuffled through whatever college situation they're in, and nobody's right. really concerned about their education. They're more concerned about what they bring as a commodity to the school. And, you know, then when that all ends, if you don't have an exit strategy, you, you can find yourself lost in the wilderness. Let me ask you this. Now, I know you, I read somewhere where you said you talked to various players, and you just said here you talked to various players. Who are some of the players that you reached out to? Oh, man, I got to keep that on the low because I, I, there's going to be some things that I use as tools. Uh, okay. And see as the season progresses, I don't want to put anybody on blast. For some dudes who literally are retired and have the exact same scenario dealing with their wife that kind of rides them a bunch. The other dudes who were single and swimming and got hurt and that were high-end right. profile guys, and then the, the tide kind of turned on them. So you kind of take stuff from their lives and use it with your character. Absolutely. I mean, you okay. know, as an artist, this is what I do. My my job is to recreate real life. And so I'm watching a lot of different uh, behavior all the time. And so whether it's with my friends, whether it's stuff that I see out and about, you know, you're trying to figure out, trying to create a character that people believe is, is hard work. And the way that you do that is you pepper it with your experiences that you've had in real life. We're talking to one of the stars of Ballers, Omar Miller and Omar, let me ask you this now, man. You're six five. You're a pretty big dude. Did you play football yourself? No, nah, man. I got recruited to play football since I came out the womb. But I uh, I played baseball and basketball. I was more interested okay. in in less contact. But uh, you know, I ended up getting busted <laughs> up in those sports too. So I might as well play football to be honest. Right, right. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, you probably wouldn't have got busted. I mean, you you would have got busted up a little more playing football than those sports, right? I don't know, to be honest, because it all depends. You know, nowadays it's different than it was when I was younger. When I was younger, man, football players would come out of the NFL and they couldn't barely walk. Like, you had guys that were all mangled. Now it seems like the way that they've adjusted the game, the league in and of itself is a little bit more uh, friendly to to the body, I would say. The only thing is that you've got bigger guys running faster now. But by and large, you know, with the way that they protect the quarterback and the way that they protect a lot of, you know, receivers and so on and so forth, Getting stuck isn't the way that the game is now. It's no longer a vicious game like it was before. It's still a you know still a man's game, but it's not vicious like it once was. Right, for sure, definitely. It's been it's a kinder, gentler NFL that, that we've seen uh, no on the doubt. football field. And it's an offensive-based NFL. 
True. You know, it's an offensive True. game now. They want they want points on the board. They want touchdowns, and that's what brings the ladies to watch as well as the gentlemen. In the past, they didn't care how you won. The defense is the surest, highest way to do that, to bully some guys and punch them in the mouth. But nowadays, they don't want to see that. They need all the quarterbacks. They want the quarterbacks to take off their helmets and show their pretty faces, and that's what sells <laughs> fear and ads and everything else. Right, definitely. Let me ask you this now. I read somewhere where you felt that like your character, Charles, was uncool. Is Omar cooler than Charles? Oh, no doubt, without question. I mean, Charles <laughs> is the anti-cool on the show. This is why he's so relatable, because I don't know if most people can identify with guys driving Maseratis and Bentleys and whatnot, uh, talking about running out of money after signing the 12 or $15 million deal. I don't know if most dudes can, you know, I don't know if most dudes are on that. But most people can identify with a guy who has a job and has a wife that's kind of fed up with some of his laziness and uh, wants to hang out with his buddies and drives a Chevy pickup. I think most people can identify with that. For sure, for sure. We're talking to actor Omar Benson Miller, one of the stars of Ballers, which airs on HBO each and every Sunday, 10 o'clock Eastern, on HBO. Let me ask you this now, Charles. You're on set with guys like The Rock. I mean, Dulé Hill as well. I mean, you're talking about some very good guys, some very good actors. What's it like being on set with those guys? A, a, a whole ball of fun. Because you know what? <laughs> These guys, man, they have they, they're, they are confident actors who are already established. They don't have anything to prove in the sense that they want to work together. Nobody's trying to diva anybody or steal scenes and whatnot. And in that, it became a real familial kind of environment, man. Okay. DJ is as cool as they get. That dude is the best. He's the kind of guy you want to barbecue. And uh, Dulé, I've known for years. That's my man in real life. Like we we run okay. around. We you know we we uh, we bowl together. We do the whole song and dance. And then when we go to work, we already have the respect of one another as friends, and we can come in and give it our best. That's cool. That's definitely cool that you're you're on set with one of your boys. Yeah, it's critical because you don't get that a lot in the movies. That right. People don't know. A lot of times you do movies. And then you might not talk to the dude ever again in life. You know, there's a lot For of sure. people that, that don't keep in contact. So it's kind of like set friends as opposed to real friends. And in a situation like with Dulé, we're actually real friends, so it makes everything easier. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you this now. How did this role come about for you? You know what? I got a call that it was up and come to find it something that they wrote for me. Uh, Steve Levinson is the creator of the show. He's also somebody that I played basketball with for years, so he knew that I was athletic <laughs> and he knew that they, he followed my career, and he's one of the producers of Entourage and Boardwalk Empire, several movies. And uh, and he had me in mind for this thing, and I was the first guy on board after Dwayne. And, uh, and, you know, as the season goes on, everybody will see. They really trusted me with a lot of the – uh, uh, dramatic, real-life problems that people can relate to. And as an actor, that's, that's a serious honor, and I appreciate that. So you, yeah, you, I was, that was my next question. How honored were you to know that, look, man, this role was set up just for me? That has to, like you said, it's got to be a great, great feeling. It's a great feeling, especially when you're working with the biggest movie star in the world, you know, literally and figuratively. Right. It, you have right. to get, just like any team, you know, you have to get strong players around to support the, the leader of the team. And Definitely. that's where you call a guy like me to come and play my position and support Dwayne and support the, the some of the younger guys who maybe don't have the experience and show them the way and kind of set the tone on set. So I just appreciate the fact that they were, you know, they they trusted me with that. So you feel like you're 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 a role player type. You're you're not necessarily LeBron, but maybe you're you're Kyrie. 
not in this not in this setting. You know, that's the thing about the movies. It it changes every project. So okay. you know, it, it it's all being a, it's all about being a part of the team. And definitely Dwayne Johnson is the LeBron character. <laughs> in right. this situation, maybe even the Steph Curry because this dude is gonna win. And uh and that's that's all it is to it. We're talking to one of the stars of Ballers, Omar Benson Miller. Let me ask you this now, and, and looking at the first episode, we saw Deshaun Jackson, we saw Steven Jackson in that first episode. What other athletes are going to be coming on Ballers as we go throughout the course of this season? Oh, man, you got Giancarlo Stanton, the highest-paid uh, baseball player of all time. Um, we got what else we got on the show. There's quite a few guys that stopped by the set. I don't know if they they did cameos or not, but you know we got uh, we had John Jay from the from the, the St. Louis Cardinals came by. Okay. We have a we have a pretty all star staff. When when you when it's gonna be all said and done, you're gonna be like, damn, they got everybody on the show, and a lot of those <laughs> dudes in the they live in Miami. So we got Terrell Suggs on the show. Uh, okay. I think John Gruden might make a cameo. Russell Wilson might make a cameo. It's it's pretty it's pretty intense when it comes to the league. We got dudes in the league on the show. Believe that. Were was there any one that stood out for you in terms of any of the athletes that stood out for you? You know what, Antonio Brown was super cool. He was okay. a really you know really really cool humble brother man. That dude was he was solid and he was interested you know with the acting and whatnot. You know who else was really cool? We got Chris Birdman Anderson that makes an appearance on the show. Okay. And Bird was crazy cool. Birdzilla was dope, man. And, you know, these guys, it's, it's a trip with the athletes because it's either one of two ways. They either show up like it's no big deal and they're too cool for school, or they show up super prepared to the point where they want to do the best, best, best in the world like athletes okay. are. You know, they're, they're super disciplined and super rehearsed, which is you got to respect it when they show up ready to play. Definitely, definitely. Anybody that you want it's to name trip, those though, a little because too cool you'll see a lot of school. these dudes. You, 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 you'll see a lot of these dudes show up and then be super okay. nervous. Same dudes who shoot, you know, uh, free throws in front of millions of people or hit baseballs a mile and, and, and crush quarterbacks and stuff, and they're super nervous when the cameras come on when it's, you know, not sports. It, it was funny right. to watch. I guess at the end of the day, it's not their arena, you know what I mean? And they respected that, though. That's one thing that I, right. I respect, you know, from uh, from from this side, is that wow, you know what these guys are these guys are cool. We had uh, Jeremy Shockey's on the show, Eric Hosmer okay. from the Kansas City Royals is on the show. You'll see they they're gonna start trickling in every episode. A- anybody that you would name that was a little too cool for school? Nah, you know they know who they are. <laughs> they know who they are. It was a fun set. <laughs> So I ain't going to put right. nobody on blast. There was a couple of dudes that showed up that, that didn't have, you know, that like they were doing us a favor. It was okay. very interesting. <laughs> I, obviously a great start to the show. What can I expect moving forward from the show? More comedy. You know, the okay. shows get funnier and funnier. I feel like the pilot episode had to lay down and commit to a certain element of drama just because of uh, – just because of what we're trying to establish, you want to root the show in real life, you know? And so you have the situation like with, with Spencer popping the pills. You have a situation where Spencer sets Ricky Jarrett straight about the Ricky rules and whatnot. And I think that, that you're going to get a lot more laughs as the show continues. 
even though a lot of truth is being said in jest, there's a lot more laughs coming for you. Sounds good. I can't wait to see all those laughs. Obviously, you're doing big things with ballers. What else do you have up your sleeve? What else is going on with Omar Benson Miller? You know what, man? Right now, I'm uh, I'm writing. I'm doing some writing and some developing with my brother, and we're trying to sell a couple story ideas and movie ideas to the studios so that we can start telling our own stories and start using the uh, – the, the voice that we have to get some more some more diversity out into the world of television and film. So uh, I'm, I'm doing I'm really focused on that right now. I had my travel show that we can fix before, and that was a lot of fun. And we're trying to figure out if we're going to continue doing that somewhere else. And you know, it was just the best job in the world because they paid me to run around the world eating and drinking and meeting people. So right. that was pretty awesome. <laughs> so For right sure. now, I mean, you know, everybody would want to be you. Oh, who doesn't want to be me, realistically? I, I'm like the 49ers. Who's got it better than us? So it's uh, it's a pretty solid gig I got. But, yeah, no, uh, you know, so just just doing the work right now, letting the show land where it does, a lot of promotion going on for the show. And as the summertime winds up, I try to shoot a movie before I go back to uh, shooting another season of Bowling. Wow. I mean, you're a busy man, and that busy is always good in your business, and any business for that matter. Busy is good, man. Thank God for it. It's just, you know, it's great to be in a good spot. You spend enough Definitely time in life in difficult spots. This is a great time to be in a good spot. Shooting a show in Miami is definitely a good spot. <laughs> I wish I was you, man. I want to I want to be you when I grow up. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, you're 6'5". You're in Hollywood. You're shooting in Miami. I mean, you got a full head of hair. I'm bald. I mean, I want to be Omar Miller when I grow up. Hilarious. Hilarious. Fans, fans, make sure you check this man out each and every Sunday, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern on HBO. Ballers, Omar Benson Miller, The Rock, uh, Dulé Hill, a lot of great actors. A lot of great stuff going on with that show and a lot of great action. Make sure you connect with this man on Twitter, at Omar Miller, and support all the great things going on with Ballers and all the great things going on with Omar Miller. Omar, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best luck moving forward. Let's do it again. Congrats on your success, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Actor. Omar Benson Miller, one of the stars of Ballers on HBO. Make sure you check it out each and every Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern on HBO. Funny show, good show, interesting show. And, you know, you, you, it might be similar to Playmakers on ESPN. Remember Playmakers uh, many moons ago, and, and ultimately the NFL put pressure on ESPN, and ESPN ultimately – uh, you know, t- took the show off. And I was at ESPN at the time of that show. And I liked the show. I liked the show a lot. And, uh, you know, I remember being in a meeting, and, you know, this was Mark Shapiro, the the, the leader of e- ESPN at that point in time. He talking about, you know what, it, it's in our best interest. You know, we want to keep our relationship with the NFL stable, secure, and good. So it's probably in our best interest since we do air the NFL it's probably in our best interest to, to, you know, give in to the NFL pressure and, you know, take the show off the air. 
And and at the time, you you, you look at it, and obviously, if you're airing the NFL and the NFL is none too happy with what you're putting on the air, then it does become a conflict of interest. And, and you know, you, you got it. I mean, the NFL gives you great ratings. And so you, you got to take care of that. And so, you know, backing down on playmakers for ESPN at that time really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, you know, they had bigger fish to fry. It really, you know, there really wasn't their lane, so to speak. I mean, uh, a TV show, a weekly TV show, drama, it's not really their lane per se. So it made sense for them to back down at that point in time. It was a good show. I definitely liked the show a lot. But, uh, you know, with this show, actually, they're actually using real names. I mean, Dolphins, Bills, you saw that. You see real names, real team names being used in this show. So Ballers, the first episode was pretty good. I'm looking forward to this episode, uh, next episode coming up on Sunday. I want to see who's who's coming on next, what athlete is coming on next on on the show. So that should be fun. That should be pretty interesting as well. I mean, I can't wait. Look forward to it. Ballers! Ballers! <laughs> on HBO, again, make sure you check it out each and every Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern on HBO. Obviously, now as we, we, we move forward in the NBA, free agency coming up. Obviously, Kevin Love has made his decision. He's opted out. I think ultimately he returns to the uh, to Cavaliers. LeBron, he's got a decision to make whether he's going to opt out, opt in. Ultimately, he's going to return to Cleveland. But, you know, Kevin Love's going to be it's going to be interesting. Kevin Love decides to go on certain visits, maybe the Lakers, maybe the Celtics, maybe any other team that might have an interest in Kevin Love. We'll see what he does with that. But that's going to be fun. LaMarcus Aldridge, what does he do? So a lot of different uh, storylines, a lot of interesting things going on uh, in the NBA with free agency. The season's over. The draft's over. We're on the free agency. And now it's just baseball to talk about. And football, obviously, they'll find a way to get into it. We didn't even get to Tom Brady. We didn't even get that. We ran out of time, didn't even get to Tom Brady. But that whole situation, Brady appealed, had his little meeting, what, 10 hours in, in, in a basement with a bunch of different people in there. We'll see that whole, whole how that whole situation plays out. I said before, with that whole situation, Goodell, he, he, he's darned if he do and darned if he don't, because the reality is if he, if he reduces the suspension, people are going to say, well, that's – Bob Kraft's boy, so you know he's hooking up his boy. So it's 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 a tough situation. We'll see how it plays out. You know, you, you got varying opinions whether or not it should even got to suspension. Maybe four games is too much. Maybe two would have been better. Maybe a fine would have been just as fine. But we'll see how it plays out. I want to thank Omar Benson Miller for stopping by again. Make sure you check him out on Ballers HBO, ten o'clock Eastern. Uh, on HBO. Also, I want to thank Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows. BlogTalkRadio.com slash begin, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash user slash go for it again. For everybody here, go for it. You hope, we hope you have a great weekend. See you next week. Take care. Bye.